The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, you know, this morning as we continue the Everything series, it's, it's an opportunity for me to share some things that I wanted to share for a while, but couldn't fit them into any other series. So this is like a potpourri, a potluck, a buffet, as it were, of different talks that I wanted to give. If you haven't been following at Mosaic Whittier on Twitter, it is actually me, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to commit to making, uh, putting up some, some thoughts for you to share throughout the week and that kind of thing. So I, I pointed out that, that this morning's talk would be about hell, because I, I've heard conversations in the past and recently about, you know, how can you believe in God? He, you know, he's, he's hateful, he's vengeful, and, 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 you know, you Christians are all about hell, and, and, you know, I get it. And, and occasionally, because you're a pastor, people ask you your opinion. <laughs> it's not often, because people don't care, generally. But if, but if they can corner you in a conversation, you know, so what about hell? And, you know, and so you believe people, when they die, go to hell. And I always think, well, what if you just live? I mean, what are you becoming? And so many of the, the comments that I've made over the years have come from this particular context of what I think about hell. And so we're going to read a passage, we're going to have a, some observations, and um, we'll go from there. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was, a, was laid a beggar named Lazarus and covered with sores and, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's uh, table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Um, the time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the, finger, to, to, uh, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and, uh, and you, uh, there's a great chasm and has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So he answered, well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not, uh, not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And uh, so let, let me address some quick observations, and then I'll break this down. Here, here's what I think about the, the idea or the doctrine of hell. But you know what? Um, I just might even use the word doctrine, okay? How about that? We're at church. So um, I think that without the doctrine, well, excuse me, I, I, I'm convinced, rather, that if you believe in the doctrine of hell, that it'll actually help you know yourself better, live at peace with people, and love God more. And I think when I hear that, I, if I was sitting there listening to myself speak, I would think, gosh, when is this guy going to be done? But the second thing I would think is that that seems so counterintuitive on several levels. 
Why would the doctrine of hell make me love God more? Why would the doctrine of hell help me live at peace with people? How can the doctrine of hell help me understand myself better? If anything, it just seems horrific. And as a matter of fact, if you, if you hear bits and pieces, and that's usually how folks hear it, the idea of hell, it's in bits and pieces, it, it's twisted, it's perverted. And so what you have is an image of a God in an act of violence, tossing people into hell, consigning people to hell, depending on your theology, against their wills. You know, they're, they're begging to be released. They, they, they don't want to go there, but he's sending them there anyways. No, it's hell for you. It's time, you know, barbecue, you're done, you know. Or if you're Hispanic, it's gone the time, you know, you're done. And, and, and by the way, uh, if that's how you understand it, you have, you, you, you would be less than human if you didn't reject that. But that's not what the Bible teaches about hell. I'll also tell you that, uh, that I think that the, that the fire of hell is actually a metaphor. I don't think it's literal. But I think it's a metaphor for something actually worse than just fire. Um, I'm going to tell you that I think it's a, a condition more than a location. So let me, let me begin to unwrap some of this stuff. And, 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 um, and I realize that based on maybe other churches or perhaps your theology that you might have been trained in or perhaps you're getting trained in certain theology that... You might like you know. I, I, you might push back. Here's what I'll ask you to do for the next, I don't know, two three hours. Hang in here with me, thirty minutes. Hang in here with me. Just consider what I'm saying, and see if it fits the entire message of the scripture regarding who God is. Okay. Knowing yourself more. In this particular parable, it's the the only one where there's actually somebody named. Lazarus is named, and so to be consistent, you would think that the rich man would be named, correct? But he's not named. Lazarus is named, the rich man is not named. So you have a named individual and a nameless individual. And I believe since Jesus is this amazing teacher, that it, it's, it's, not, it, it's on purpose, that there's an intention to this, why he chose to do and explain this parable the way he did, naming Lazarus but leaving the rich man unnamed. Briefly, for this rich man, from, you know, when you read this parable, that it would be difficult to think he's not a believer, that he wasn't Jewish. He, he understands who Abraham is. He, um, you know, he's asking people to avoid what, what he's at. I mean, he's wealthy in the state where he's at. You know, it, it, he had to be Jewish and a believer at some level to be who he was as far as a wealthy individual. But... Still, he find himself, quote, in hell. Why is that? Well, I think the key is in verse 25. In fact, can you, if you have a chance, can you throw it up on the board behind me? The key is right there. Abraham tells them that you, you had your highest good. What you had as far as the, the ultimate thing in your life that gave you meaning in your life, that was a value in your life, you've already had it. And now that it's taken away from you, you have no identity. Now, this, this ought to hopefully raise a the, the couple of quick questions right off the top of your head, or, or maybe observations. And that is, whatever you hold as your ultimate good becomes the ultimate meaning for you. Whatever you hold as an ultimate value is going to define you. Whatever you hold as an ultimate value identifies you as well. This is why when you take away that thing from that person, from this rich man, his riches are gone, his wealth is gone, his luxury is gone, he's nothing. 
Now, this is actually going to be the longest, maybe most difficult sort of thing to wrap your head around, so, so keep hanging there with me a little bit longer. Since this man had built his life on his highest good, and this highest good is taken away, he's nothing. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, I'm back at school as a philosophy major, so you know, I'm all about that now. He defines sin as building your identity on anything else but God. A very almost radical view of what the scriptures teach, but radically, literally taking from the scriptures, what does sin mean? What does it mean to be dark? What does it mean to be dysfunctional? What does it mean to be evil? What does it mean to be broken? All these words for sin that we can use, it means I'm building my identity, my self-worth, who I am, on anything else but God. This is why I believe living a good moral life may be the ultimate evil. Because you become your own savior. You have placed God in your debt. You owe me heaven. You owe me what's right and good because I'm living this way. Instead of a response of love, it's a transaction. It's a business transaction. I'll do this and then you have to do that. And what makes it insidious is because, well, how do you argue how do you help somebody see that the good life they're living is keeping them actually away from the God that they think they're connecting to? You know what? Uh, here's a side note. I actually expect people who are not followers of Jesus to be better than me. You know why? Because I know I'm screwed up. I know I'm dark. I know my weirdness. But folks who live a good life, I mean, and I mean a good life. I mean, they, they, you know, they pay their taxes. They filed them. They have a license, they have a job, they're good people. They're good people. They raise their family well, they, 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 they take care of their kids, they recycle. <laughs> Flush twice? What is it? Guys, I, okay. I don't want to see your urine. Flush the toilet wherever you go, okay? And this is weird to me when I go to, I'm at Biola, I'm thinking, these are grown people. How can you not flush the toilet? That's my hell. Seeing that. (laughs) Really, sir, this was impossible for you to do. At any rate, back to this. Just had to get that out of my system. When your self-worth is your own moral good and not God's goodness and God's beauty, you're beginning to wreak havoc in your own soul. You truly are. And when your identity, when your self-worth, when your meaning, when your value is anything else but God, you're starting a fire in your soul that will eventually consume you. That's the fire I'm speaking of. I think that's the fire that's actually spoken of here. If there's any other... uh, you know, when, when any good thing becomes an ultimate thing, I, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a, a job, it could be work, it could be a career, it could be relationships, it could be your family, it could be taking care of your family, it could be, uh, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. Name any good thing, anything, sex, food, music, dance, uh, uh, you know, good looks, clothes, no, not clothes, and then anything else that, anything that be, any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing is starting the fire in your soul that will eventually consume you. 
I recall years ago I used to say, you know, every decision you make eventually makes you. This is where I'm getting it from. This is my understanding of hell. You, you end up becoming the thing that you love and want the most. So choose carefully because it will happen. There's no, there's no changing it. There's no stopping it. There's no, I, I get to choose what I want to do, but I want to end up someplace else different. That, that just doesn't work in any environment. So if there's any other security than God, if you, even if you believe and pray and follow the pattern of God, but if the roots of your identity are anything but God, then, then there's a, 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 a fire in your soul that will consume you. And here's the interesting thing about fire. It always leaves a mark, right? Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the pastors at Mosaic is a guy named Derek Miller, just a warm, just decent, good guy. A uh, lovely wife. I think they're having their, did they have their baby, Dave? No, not yet? No? All right, not yet. Someone knows. It shows how much I care. At any rate, uh, I mean, he's just a great guy. We had a chance to get to, I got a chance to get to know him a little bit more a couple weeks back when we were in Chicago just talking and chatting, and he's a fireman. And it's interesting listening to him talk about the science of firefighting. He's actually very low-key. I mean, you have to kind of pull it out of him. But he discusses how fire, uh, you know, the different components of fire, how it, how it runs, how, what it does, and, and what a firestorm is. It's when the smoke itself catches fire because the heat builds up. And it, how, what a horrific thing to consider, right? Fire can also be our friend, correct? Cooks our food, heats our leche, café con leche, um, but it will always leave a mark. The difference is, what is the source of that fire? Is it human? Is it, is it, is it from hell, as James talks about, the fire from hell? Or is it a, a, a fire from God? I, I think it's not without meaning or purpose that God describes himself as a consuming fire. But, but consuming in the sense of taking and, and burning off what is not healthy, good, or right about us. Not like a danger sort of a thing. Now here's what I think about this fire further. I, I think you can, comp- you can compare it very easily to addiction. Years ago, just thinking about how people get addicted to stuff, just because of observing my own life, my own pattern, whether it's biting your nails or drinking too much or pornography or, or you know, relationships. I mean, there's things you can just be kind of like, I have to have this. I have to do this, right? Usually it starts off like a curiosity. Like, oh, it's not so bad. And if it was something you were warned against, you're like, oh, well, geez, the earth didn't open up and swallow me. No lightning bolts came from heaven. I guess it wasn't so bad. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe my mom's a big liar. <laughs> so then you do it socially. You kind of do it when you want to. Blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever that, for some reason, that's what you do when you're an addicted. Blah, 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 blah. You know, that's how you do it. You can do it socially. You can do it by yourself. You can do it when you want to. You can do it when you need to sleep. Do it, whatever, right? Do it when you're bored. But then there comes that place in that time that you can't stop doing it, even when you want to. That's addiction. It's no longer bringing you any kind of you know, joie de vie or pleasure. It's just like you have to, like you're just a slave to it. Oddly, that's the language the scripture uses, being a slave to it. But addiction always carries the components of disintegration. You need more and more for less and less of a return. Uh, isolation, you're hiding, you're lying, and you're blaming everybody and anything for your problem. And then the, there's a denial. There's just an inability to see what's really happening. There's a denial to understand true truth. There's a denial of reality. And folks, 
if you get nothing else out of this morning, truth and reality are always your friends. Always your friends. How many of you remember The Iron Giant? The cartoon? I do. It's a great film. Okay, how many of you are willing to admit that you wept at the end when he said heroes and he crashed into I did. Oh my gosh. I, I actually bought the little plastic Iron Giant doll. Don't laugh at me, Daryl. <laughs> I've been a Christian, but not that long. I know people still. <laughs> I have the, the Iron Giant doll on my dresser in my, in my home. I always remember that thing. Just, I remember thinking when I saw that hero thing, I thought, yeah, I want to be the Iron Giant too. Remember the line? Souls don't die. Okay, if Soren Kierkegaard is right, and if the Iron Giant is right, that ought to be cause us to think about what kind of habits we have. I mean, look, if you live to be 75, 80 years old and you have a bad temper, who cares? I mean, it stops at 80. But what if you don't stop? at 80? What if you live forever and you carry into that new existence your bad temper? And as any habit is, it continues to grow. It's never satisfied. It's always expanding. You know those moments where, um, you know, maybe you have a critical attitude. Okay, I'll tell you mine. I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest with you. There's moments where uh, you know, in my own arrogance, in my own cynical attitudes, I mean, I'm standing in line. I could be getting coffee. It doesn't even matter what it is. I start thinking, oh, who's this idiot or this person? And you start thinking how much better you are than people. And, you know, you, you, you catch yourself and you're like, God, I hate that part of my life. I truly do. But I struggle with it. And I know all of you have your little dirty nasties. But there, see, there comes a point where you can no longer um, separate yourself from that mindset. And you just are that thing. You've met those people. They're so hateful or bitter, or they're so dirty sexually, or uh, just foul in some other ways. And, and, and there, I, I'm almost certain there was a time in their lives when they could, could separate themselves from that habit, from that mood, from that attitude, from that thought pattern. And after all, they just become that thing. Now, let's say that goes on for a thousand years. What do you become? Let's say that goes on for a million years. What do you become? Let's say that goes on forever. What do you become? That would be hell. That would consume you. So hell is, I see, is less, a con, uh, less of a location than a condition. And, and, and I, I, folks, I love all of you. So let me, let me give you this, like a warning here. In each of us, there is something that can unleash hell in our lives. It could be fear. It could be arrogance. It could be a sensual thing. It could be some other distortion but it's in all of us. It starts small, it's distinct, but it, it just keeps going. Even something good. In fact, I, I can tell you how you can 
you know, tests for this in your life. Think of the thing that you, that you think, boy, if this goes away, I'd be nothing. You know, this is why some people, when they lose their job, men or women, you know, they're hurt, they're disappointed. That's normal. But being devastated and, and a tail spinning into depression, they identified with their job. That's who they were. Some folks, um, a relationship ends and it hurts. You feel alone and like, you know, hey, you know, you want to process and learn from it. Good for you. But for some people, men and women, if they're not in a relationship, they feel worthless. There's an addiction there. There's something happening that, that, that is not from God. Now, does that mean that somehow when you're dialed in with Jesus correctly, you don't need a job or friendships? Of course not. But you're getting your core need and identity satisfied and met because of God, not through something else, even a good thing. Does it make sense now when you hear Jesus say, hey, if you don't hate your mother and father, your family eat more than you love me, you're not worthy of me? We can't really have that connection. Does that start, maybe start to make more sense now? So if any, and, and, and if anything gets in the way of you having that thing that you want, that you feel you really need to have, in fact, you don't even think you need to have it it's like being a fish in water. You just assume that's how the reality should work. You must be in that thing. You must spend that certain amount of money. You have to have this certain thing. And if you can't get it, you're bitter, you're nasty, you're awful to be around, you're despondent, you despair. And you could be an, a, a, a sincere follower of Jesus Christ and still be in that place. Because your identity, your meaning has, has something else other than Christ. You recall last week when I said how much God loves us that he even takes us on the flimsiest sort of condition? This is an indication of how much he loves me. That I will, that he'll take me knowing that I will still choose somebody else, something else over and over and over again besides him. And he'll still say, I'll still take you. I'll, I will marry you like in that condition. So look at this rich man again for briefly. This guy is completely out of touch with reality. He still thinks he can have Lazarus be ordered around for him. You know what's odd to me? He never asks to get out. He tries to get Lazarus to come in. <laughs> have you met people like that? You know, they know that something they're up to and doing is not really healthy. They don't really ask for help to get out as much as they try to get you to join them. That's how. Here's another picture I think might be helpful because we're coming up on winter and maybe some of you have done this in the summer already. Have you guys ever burned anything? Because I, I hear voices, burn it, burn it all. You know, uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't burn it. Burn it all. No. I'm going with this guy. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, when I was a kid, I did burn stuff. Gosh. I was like training to be a killer, serial, just, just an awful person. Thank God God stepped in. Seriously. Seriously. I, I just, the, the violence I was surrounded, the fires I was starting, the stabbings I was involved in. And then I left elementary school. I wish I was, I mean, I wish I was kidding. That, that really is my life. I, I, that's what, at any rate. Uh, my point? Thank you, because I don't say that that often. Even, uh, okay, the, uh, ever seen a log burn? Of course you have, right? Um, you know, fireplace, maybe a beach fire, fire pit. It, uh, it, it, 
especially if it's a very hard wood, it doesn't seem to catch right away. It's kind of burning on the edges a little bit. And then maybe you, you crack it open so it starts to get burned from the inside or, or it pops. And, but have you noticed how interesting how it seems to retain its shape? Like it still has structure? And then you, you tap it, to, or maybe you think, oh, let me move this around. And then when you try to move it, it disintegrates. But if you leave it long enough, it will just collapse among itself, right? Make that the picture for your soul. If you leave it untended long enough, it will burn to a crisp and can still continue. That's, that's the hell that Christ is talking about. And I understand that some of us may be sitting there thinking, I still, you know, that just seems so unfair for God to do that. But there'd be hell. I, 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 and I don't mean this to be sarcastic. I don't mean this to be mean. What would you have him do? I mean, uh, forgive, forgive us at, at any cost possible? He did that. How about um, forgive, period? Well, He's willing, but no one asks. To leave us alone? Well, just leave us alone then. But that's exactly what hell is. Is leaving you alone. Is leaving, look, hell is leaving us alone. And the more I've, you know, this has been a conversation with my wife and I for years, on and off, um, how many of you have heard of or read Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, right? You know, it, it wasn't as if that was that startling. I'm don't, don't, not sure why that was that controversial. I mean, this is something that's, you know, McDonald and Chesterson and Lewis have sort of grappled with. Um, you know, it's an excellent little book. If you haven't read it, haven't heard of it, it's called Love Wins. But this doctrine, this idea of hell has helped me understand that I am and so are you. We're spiritual addicts. We have to have it. We will get it. It just is a matter of what we're going to get. And, and then I've seen that my life as a follower of Jesus is actually just looking for little fires to put out in my life. <laughs> all that it is that's all that sanctification this fancy word it's all that it is looking for little fires and putting them out and how do you put out the fires the gospel that God is everything I need him to be in my life and then some grace asking for forgiveness and receiving it and, and community being with people who are also like minded who, who are looking to uh, pattern their lives after Jesus Christ, to morph Jesus into their understanding, into their culture, and, and bring him in here and practice him and live him out. So it, I, I believe it, it, it truly helped my thinking to understand what the fire is, where it comes from, and how to extinguish it more importantly. So, you know, here's the question. And we're still not done yet, actually, but here's the first one. So who are you really? I mean, really, at the core, core, core of your being, who are you really? It, it's always surprising to me when I meet followers of Jesus, whether it's Biola and places. I mean, they're, they're, they're good people. They mean well, right? But the first thing they talk about is their ethnic background. I'm African-American. I'm Hispanic. That, that's your first identifier? Really? Because I mean, like, in my head, that's one of my lowest ones. It's obvious I'm Latino. I mean, but that's, I mean, you know, or I, I'm Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm independent. Oh, you know, 
throw away your vote if you want. And then, um, uh, you know, or like somehow that's your first identifier. I'm a business person. I'm a student. I'm a professor. I'm a mother. That's really, that's your first one? That's, your, that's all you are? I'm certain you're more interesting than that. You must be more than that to avoid the fire that will disintegrate your soul. Even if it's good, an ulti- when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it will destroy you. I believe the, the doctrine of hell helps me live in peace uh, with others. Um, and I understand that there's a concern that if you, again, you hear it in bits and pieces, that folks who believe in hell, the topic that Jesus spoke about more than any other person in the scripture combined, that it would lead you to think that we would be people who discount others who, quote, are going to hell, right? If you're going to hell, why should I care about you? Go to hell. To hell with you, right? And you've said that under your breath, sometimes to their face. Someone doesn't like their food, well, tell them to go to hell, you know? <laughs> You're laughing because you've done it, brother, haven't you? <laughs> and listen, that's an understandable objection. But it, it just tells me that you haven't really perhaps seen or heard what the scriptures teach. When this rich man, who's still in his state of insanity, speaks to Abraham, and Abraham answers him back. I mean, you can look at it, verse 25. What does he call him? I'm not talking to you, you're in hell. You idiot, you're in hell. Or, uh, no. Does he even disparage his, 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 his personhood? No. What does he call him? Son. You know, it's hard to read that without a sense of tragedy, a sense of loss. You know, son, you already had your ultimate good. You lived for it. You, you're getting the consequence of your ultimate good. And and people who have experienced seeing their families murdered and and other atrocities committed, it is because they believe in a God of judgment that they've been able to restrain from violence and revenge. Why? Because they believe that eventually there is a God who will put it all right. I don't have to put vengeance, I don't have to take vengeance myself. I I, I don't know what when I think about my own personal life and the acts of violence I committed, and what, what sucked me into that vortex was thinking, there's no one else who's going to take care of this but me right now. Well, what do you tell somebody who doesn't believe in a God of judgment after he sees his wife murdered or his children burned alive why they shouldn't commit violence in retaliation? Violence never solves anything? The hell it doesn't. It solves a lot for me. Unless... I believe there's a God who does judge in the end. And folks, let, let's grow up about something else, okay? If you're really going to love something well, you have to hate its opposite completely. If God loves justice, he's going to hate injustice. And finally, it helps me um, love God, believing in the doctrine of hell. You see, Here's what's odd about this. Here's this rich man asking for a miracle. And, and, and maybe some of you have thought the same thing. Oh, you know, you, you've asked God, God, if you will just, you know, I don't know, fix his leg or help him see or, you know, car blows up in the morning so he knows it's you or something. You know, you're, you're praying for a miracle or you, or you speak to your family and friends in terms of hell. 
because you're trying to scare the hell out of them. You're, an, you're like an exorcist, in a sense. It won't work. It won't work. I've seen, um, well, I know this young woman uh, was raised in church, not practicing at any level. And she, but she collects those chick tracks. Have you ever seen what I'm talking about? Those awful, drawn, little comic tracks. No one, okay, good. Anyone speaking of that? Okay. I don't know who reads them besides believers, but they're just horrible. And they're always this awful scare tactic to get you going out to, to avoid hell. Go to God, avoid hell. You know why I think that doesn't work? It's because it automatically feeds the, 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 the problem that we have. In the end, the problem that all of us have is that we're just completely, ultimately, and absolutely selfish. Me, 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 me first. Me before you, me on top of you, me, me in front of you. And so if I'm turning to God just to avoid hell, I've just made God a means to an end. I don't love him. I may not really care about him. I may do stuff to hopefully get him off my back. But I, essentially, I'm just connected to, to, to shut him up and get me from keeping from going to hell. See, if you go to 30, verses 30 to 31, Abraham is telling Lazarus, you know, uh, well, this is supposed to make you think of somebody. Obviously, who is this supposed to make you think of? Jesus, correct. Sunday school answer. This time it's correct. Let's be honest. If Jesus showed up right now, I'm here. Believe in me or you're going to go to hell. Resurrected, just showed up. We might be overwhelmed. Well, we, well might be. We would be overwhelmed. <laughs> that was stupid. We would be overwhelmed. That, wow, you know, I better believe. But we would never understand why he died. Just that he did. So where would you get the information as to why he died? And it's understanding why he died that increases my love for him. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 for just a moment. Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. Here's what it says. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You, you, you don't know how to love Jesus well unless you understand the cost you've worked to him. Some of us grew up in a Catholic environment, the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell, that phrase. And I think some of us just think he went to hell. Like, I don't know, like he just... He was there with fire or something. I don't even know how some of us might even picture that. Let me, let me give you a, a, a short illustration, and we're going to be ending here pretty soon. And by the way, I know when I say we're going to be ending pretty soon, that means nothing. So um, <laughs> I realize that. I truly do. Don't be mad. But I am almost done. Um, and I ripped this off from somebody else, uh, so if you like it, it's yours. Um, if, you're, if you have a guest staying at your home and you're gone, you come home, and the friend says, hey, uh, uh, this, uh, a bill came due, and I paid it for you. Okay? Yeah, I, I know. It's fantasy. It's a metaphor. Um, how do you thank them for paying the bill? Right. You, what's that? Pay them back. Pay them back, maybe. 
But, but you, you, maybe, and let me suggest something. You don't know how to pay them back or how to thank them, excuse me, unless you know how much the bill was. If it's postage, it was 20 cents. Oh, thanks, dude. Right? A couple of bucks. Oh, thanks. Bump. Bring it back. But suppose the IRS finally found you. <laughs> Dear Jay Arroyo, <laughs> we haven't heard from you for several years. We'd like to begin a correspondence. <laughs> Let's start with the number. $27,938. And the juice is running. Oh, I paid it. Dude, thank you. No, thank you, dude. Let's say it's a million dollars. You see, when you understand the bill that was due on your behalf that Jesus paid, I, I don't know how you not thank him. What do you say to that? Until you understand the cost that Jesus paid for you, you don't know whether to say thank you or to fall at his feet and thank him. How could you? How could you pay this? I love you. Yeah, but how could you, how do you, you know what I mean? So think about this for just a moment. He descended into hell. Think of all of this, think of all of the disintegration and isolation and, and, and pain that your goofiness, your darkness, your sin, your evil, your dysfunction causes just you. And then add every, everybody else is into the mix for eternity and then place it on the one that had no sin. He descended into hell. And then I think it's not just even the emotional and the psychological and the physical pain, but we, we all know that when, when you lose the, the love of a friend, it hurts, right? Lose of a spouse, lose the love of a spouse, it really hurts. It, hurts, it cuts deeper. So it is the, the, the depth of a love loss that determines its agony, Correct? I mean, I know there's no language for this. What agony that Jesus experienced to break and lose the love of his own father when he cries out, why have you forsaken me? So when I understand the doctrine of hell clearly, I understand that he's saying that because of my sin, your sin, all of my filth, all of my weirdness was placed on him and he descended into hell. And for something that never happened in eternity past or will happen again in the future, his connection to his own father was broken. That's the bill that came due. Ironically, if you try to get rid of the idea of judgment in hell and make God more loving, you make him less loving. I mean, I mean if you have the notion that God just loves you and there's no judgment, okay, I, I can respect your idea, but sir, madam, you're not thinking. Love doesn't matter if it costs nothing. It might be a nice feeling. It's, you know, it's like having a warm blankie at night, I guess. Maybe not this night because it's too hot. But if I want to be transformed, if I want boldness, if I want health, if I want healing, I need a God who loves me and is willing to die for me. But when you hear the doctrine of hell in bits and pieces, you know, you, we have this twisted, perverted view of this awful, angry God who's tossing people into hell against their will. That is not the picture, folks. What it is is someone who chooses 
their own destiny. We, we see a judge who didn't come to bring his judgment, but to bear our judgment, who literally goes to hell for his enemies. When you grasp that, you're able to love God more, live at peace with others, and know yourself better. And this is why I think it's critical for us to understand the doctrine of hell and not be embarrassed by it. Anyway, I pray with you guys. We'll dismiss. And Father, um, I, I do thank you. I think for many of us, maybe we're just hearing this notion of what hell might be for the first time in a way that we've never heard it before. So what I pray, especially for folks who are maybe pushing back still, is that, that you continue to speak to them about your incredible love for them. Help us know ourselves well, to see our need of a savior. Help us to see how the doctrine of hell causes us to live at peace with others, that we don't have to take vengeance into our own hands because you said in your scripture that vengeance was yours. And help us to see the amount of the debt that was paid on our behalf, that we may love Christ more dearly in a way that heals us. And then help us to be people who live lives that mimic your son, mimic it well for others to see what it's like to experience your goodness. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.